0: Good to see you all here this morning. I always love this time of year, I don't know, making plans, dreaming, thinking about the year ahead. This is, I just get excited at this time of year. So I don't know if you guys are excited, maybe you're drained, you're just trying to recover from time with family or travel or whatever, Um, but hopefully you can get what you need here in the next number of days before normal life starts again we are in the midst of a sermon series uh, titled the big story and um, one of our big objectives in this series is we want to help us read the bible better help ourselves learn how to read the bible better and one of the ways in which we're trying to accomplish this is to see the bible as one big story one interconnected story so oftentimes we can view the Bible as these disparate, disconnected stories and don't really understand how things fit together. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is to uh, connect some dots as to how the Bible does fit together. And another thing we're trying to convey in this series is just why we preach the way that we preach. Uh, Why do we always get to Jesus? Uh, Why do we end our sermons? One of the things we do is we end our sermons with a gospel application not just application but gospel application and the reason that we do this is we don't want you to walk out of here with a list of things to do because we think that that encourages moralism and moralism is works righteousness it's just another form of self-salvation and and that's anti-gospel that jesus came to save we are not the ones who save So week in, week out, we want to point to Jesus. We want to highlight who he is. We want to highlight what he's done for us and then implore all of us to believe the gospel. We want to end with the, the call that we are called to believe the gospel. So the whole of the biblical story is pointing to Jesus. All the people, the places, the events, the promises that we find in the Old Testament are pointing forward to Jesus. They're tending the reader towards him and so that's why we always want to get to him. Some of the people or events that we've talked about thus far in the series point at Jesus really explicitly like in recent weeks we've talked about individuals named Joseph and Melchizedek and we've talked about how we can see these really close parallels to their lives and then how they point forward to Jesus but other people and events are not so clear uh, they point to jesus much more implicitly and today we're looking at a story that does just that so we're going to be in exodus 32 so if you have a physical bible you want to turn there you got a device you want to swipe there go ahead and do that you also be able to follow along on the screen behind me uh, in the verses that we're reading so exodus second book of the bible will be in chapter 32 we're going to read a little bit talk read a little bit talk that's how we'll go through this this morning So verse 1, when the people, I mean Israel, saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So let's just set a little bit of the setting here as to what's, Going on. So, God has come to his people who were enslaved in Egypt. He's delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, and now he's leading them towards the promised land. They're on this journey, but now they've stopped at this place called Mount Sinai, and Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving instructions. Part of what he's receiving from God is the Ten Commandments, but he's receiving instructions from God regarding many facets of how Israel is to live in relationship with God. So he's up on the mountain, the rest of Israel is down at the bottom of the mountain. They are not with Moses, not with God. And so Moses is up on the mountain for many days, okay? So Israel's like, what's going on? Uh, And they grow impatient with the fact that Moses is no longer there to lead them and to instruct them. So they do what anyone would do. They decide to make a god, right? They're, they're just going to create a god that they can then worship. It says in verse 1 that Israel didn't know what had become of Moses. And, and I think about Israel here and I think about my own heart and I think about just humanity in general and I, I suspect that they almost didn't want to know. They didn't know, they didn't know what had become of Moses, and they probably didn't want to know what had become of Moses. Because so often we look for these convenient excuses, right? Oh, God doesn't care. He, he's not with me. He's not watching over me. So I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And that's what we find Israel doing here. This all depicts a reality that's true for us, but often unseen. This reality that we cannot stop worshiping. We are always worshiping something or someone. We can't help but not worship. We are created, made to worship. We were made to worship. So that's what we all do. All the time we are worshiping. The question then is what? What is it that we are worshiping? So let's read what Israel is going to worship. Verse 2. So Aaron, this is Moses' brother, When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. So Aaron instructs all of Israel to bring him their gold. And the text states very clearly says he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf so we have to see here Aaron was very proactive in creating what Israel demanded a baby cow for a god that that's what he's, he's making a cow for a god a calf not even a full-blown cow but a baby a calf uh, but it's not just Aaron here who's erring. in in what's going on. He fashioned the cow, he builds an altar, he pronounces a feast in honor of the Lord and the calf, but Israel, they're the ones who demanded a God, and they proclaimed, these are your gods. They're basically saying, these are now our gods. Okay, We still have the Lord, somehow he factors into this, but we also have this calf that they are going to worship as well. And then it says, Israel rose up Early. It's almost like I had this picture of like kids on Christmas, right? They rose up early the next morning so that they can enter into this celebration and this feast. To offer the same offerings and sacrifices to the calf that they had offered or that they would offer to God. The same God who had miraculously delivered them out of Egypt not too long ago. It says in verse 6, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So this verse here is quoted in uh, the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10. And uh, the Apostle Paul's one who writes 1 Corinthians 10, and he's talking in that uh, section about idolatry. And so th- there's this connection that's made there. We're not going to spend time going to 1 Corinthians 10, though that would be very appropriate for the series that we're in. But I would encourage you, You can go and read 1 Corinthians 10 at some point. But this phrase here that the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play uh, likely is communicating kind of sexual immorality. This fact that they rose up to play and and how this is communicated, uh, it's communicated with language that was very similar to other times in the Bible where it talks about people rising up and and engaging in kind of sexual promiscuity so so that's part of if we think about the celebration that's going on with israel this would most likely be a part of what they are engaging in in this celebration so there's a ton that could be talked about in just these five verses verses two through six there's the goofiness i mean of aaron choosing a baby cow I mean, really, like, that's as good as you can do, right? You're going to create a cow to worship, but, but that's what he does. Not even, like, a full-blown cow, but it's a baby, right? And so this is what he chooses to fashion so that they can worship. There's also aspects of leadership, uh, or maybe more so the lack thereof, displayed by Aaron and the way that he is leading or where he's leading Israel. There's outright lies as well. The fact that they're going to laud a cow that had just been fashioned as being responsible for bringing them out of Egypt. Uh, All that's going on here, it it seems so fantastic and, and really just dumb. But I think that this is part of the point that's being communicated by the author. There's this greater truth that flows out of this story Uh, here in exodus 32 and it gets expanded by other authors in the bible one way one place we find this being picked up is in romans 1 and paul's writing there in romans 1 he he talks about there's this exchange of truth for a lie and what's being worshipped is the creature rather than the creator so so there's these truths that are evident to humanity but we'll take them and we'll say nah I, I don't like this or I don't want this, so we'll set these things aside and, and we'll go after this thing that seems more appealing to me. And, and what ends up happening, rather than worshiping God as creator, we worship the things that he has created. And so we worship the creature rather than the creator. This is known as idolatry. And so often when we think of idolatry, especially because we read of We read stories like this in the Old Testament. An idol is viewed as an image, like this golden calf. So that's what we oftentimes think of when we think of an idol. But we really need to expand the definition of what an idol is because so often for us, we don't have this image that we're creating uh, nowadays. An idol is anything that we would look to for things that only God can give. An idol is anything we would look to for things that only God can give. So uh, you want fulfillment, okay? Food will give you fulfillment for a few hours, right? But then, then you've got to go find it another place. You've got to eat something else, or you've got to chase after something. So w- we all want fulfillment. We all desire it, but w- what are we chasing after to find satisfaction and fulfillment? affirmation. If you're seeking after affirmation, you might structure your life in such a way so that you can hear somebody say good job or pat you on the back or structure your life in such a way that you would be able to get a promotion at your job. But the reality is if your idol is affirmation, criticism is going to come. We live in a broken world. You're going to do something wrong. You will be criticized whether it's constructive or not you will be criticized that's going to happen along with the fact that the boredom from what was once new is no longer new or, or maybe your idol's comfort this is very common within our american context a vacation is great right everyone loves vacation but they don't last we have to go back to work the money's gonna run out it, it only lasts so long We can look to created things for hope and meaning and happiness, but eventually they will fail to deliver. They will break our hearts. A golden cow might have been really exhilarating for Israel at that time, but they're going to wake up and realize that's a cow, and not not a cow that can sing or dance or even be killed so they can eat it right this cow can't lead them at all it can't do anything worthwhile and their gold is gone as well right so they're really out but here's the reality in the moment in those moments where we will worship something other than jesus and we will chase after fulfillment or satisfaction or comfort or affirmation or whatever it is for you in those moments we so often don't see clearly. We just don't see things as they really are. We are like the Israelites here in this story. Tim Keller used to be a pastor in New York City. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, which deals with this whole idea really well. He says in that book, an idolatrous attachment can lead you to break any promise, to rationalize any indiscretion, or betray any other allegiance in order to hold on to it. It may drive you to violate all good and proper boundaries. To practice idolatry is to be a slave. When we see something, and we've got this craving inside of us, and we think that that thing will give us whatever it is that we're looking for, we will throw off whatever it is that constrains us and we will run after that thing no matter how dumb how wise it is we will chase after that thing we will rationalize we will commit any indiscretion as he says here and i think aaron depicts this really well in this story so remember how aaron it it was really explicit that it said that he fashioned this cow god so moses he's going to Come down the mountain, because God's going to say, uh, my people have rebelled against me. They've created this God. They've made sacrifices to it. You need to get down there. And so Moses is going to come down, and when Moses comes down, he's going to question Aaron about all that's going on. And we pick the story up in verses 21 to 24. It reads there, And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf you love how he phrases that? This stone-cold calf just walked out of the fire. It's how ridiculous we become when it comes to idols. And, and this is a great example uh, that takes us back. So in, in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make these connections of how certain stories, how certain people point forward, but also point backwards. So what we see going on here is we see Moses and Aaron especially, he's pointing backwards, but he's also pointing forward. So he's pointing back in the blame shifting that he's doing. His blame shifting here is remarkable, right? First he blames the people, then he blames the the impersonal cow, right? But this leads us right back to the Garden of Eden, okay? So Adam and Eve sin, they realize that they're naked, they hide from God, and God comes to them and god asks adam what happened and adam's immediate response when god comes to him is he says that woman that woman and then eve when god comes to her she says that serpent that serpent made me do this and so what we see going on with aaron is the same thing that we see happening in the garden of eden when the original sin was created Blame-shifting, pointing the, the onus to somebody else. White lies, rationalizing, blame-shifting. Where this leads, if we make a habit out of this, where this is going to lead us is just to outright rebellion and celebration of sin. We don't, we don't need to look far today to see that sin is celebrated in many ways Nowadays, but there's a great example near the end of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-five, and there, this is right before Jesus' crucifixion, and we see Israel. Uh, they are basically testifying; they're saying, "Crucify Jesus!" And in the midst of this, they say this: "Jesus' blood be on us and on our children." They are outright saying, "Whatever comes with this decision." We'll take it upon ourselves. We'll even put the blood of this person on our children. And it's, it's a horrendous place to end up, and, and there's much destruction that follows this decision. So coming back to, to Exodus here, I, Israel was wanting to engage in this great celebration, right? So... They were pumping the bass. The party was going on. They were thinking that life was grand, enjoying this party, bowing down before this this great cow god. But all was not well. All was not well for Israel. So let's pick it up in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So God's wrath burns hot against Israel. Israel's sin invites God's wrath against them. That's not a good, just to be clear, that's not a good place to be at all god hates sin and he desires to destroy sin this is what he'll mercifully accomplish on the cross but in this story here in exodus he is going to relent though he wants to destroy all that sin is corrupting he is going to relent from destroying them and his reason is for relenting is because of the promises that he has made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Moses is going to remind him of these promises, and that is going to be the reason that he will not destroy his people. And this is a great hope. For for anyone who considers themselves a Christian, this is a great hope. The fact that God is a promise-making God, but not just a promise-making God, he's a promise- keeping god as well our destruction is spared because of his promise because he's made promises and because he keeps those promises so our destruction is is spared because of that but but not only because of that but also because he was willing to endure personal destruction on our behalf okay so this is not a great time in the life of israel at all but there's a great chance for us to learn from israel so what does this teach us about the gospel what does this teach us about jesus how how does this tie into the greater biblical story so a, a number of points of gospel application for us this morning first of all sin is devastating idolatry is devastating Israel made the choice to fashion a pathetic God on the heels of an improbable deliverance from slavery in the midst of God providing daily reminders of his faithfulness by giving them daily bread to eat. So we talked about this. Uh, that, so Israel, they were complaining, they were hungry. God brought them out, or Moses brought them out into the wilderness so that then they could be killed. And so they're complaining, they're hungry, they wish that they could go back. Egypt. But they weren't thinking clearly there as well. So God's response to their grumbling and complaining was he said, okay, I will give you bread to eat and meat to eat. And so he's going to give this to them. And so God is providing them this daily reminder. I am God. I love you. I am providing for you. I am your provider. So he's doing this daily. This is happening as these people are engaging in this idolatrous process. Israel was quick to forget God or just to look for something more attractive or something more expedient in the moment. And it resulted in God's wrath burning hot against them. God hates sin because it defaces, deforms, devalues, and destroys what he has created. He hates sin because Sin is against everything good, and God is good. He hates sin because sin, sin promises what it cannot deliver. Th- this is what idols do, okay? Idols will promise you something, and they will never be able to deliver what they promise. Sin will destroy us. What, what sin and idolatry will do is it will take our hearts, it will rip them out of us, It will suck all the life out of our hearts. It will stomp on our heart, and then it will give this messy, broken heart back to us for us to deal with. Figure it out. Deal with it. That is what sin and idolatry will do. It is devastating. This is what Satan desires for humanity, to destroy us, to deface us, to to devalue us us so that we would hate god so that we would hate god so sin is devastating now our tendency is to look at israel and to scoff at them to be like they are so dumb first of all what a lame god right a cow who who worships a cow they are ridiculous and then to think i would never do that that that's our tendency Yes, you would. And yes, you do. I do. We all do this. Every day, this story is in the Bible to give us a picture of ourselves and to demonstrate to us our need to be led well. Because the reality is we're all constantly bombarded by messages. And whether we admit it or not, we are being led or influenced. R- right now, we're being led, influenced by something, someone one. And so we need to be led. We need to be led well, and the way to be led well is we need to be led by Jesus. The reality is we cannot trust ourselves. We can't trust ourselves. We place way too much trust in ourselves. I think this is a time of year when we contend to place too much trust in ourselves. When we're thinking about if you're a New Year's resolution type of person, it's This is a time to come up with all these things that we're going to change, how things are going to be different this next year. And so often it's, these are the changes I'm going to make. These are the things I'm going to accomplish. And in this process of making resolutions, we so often place way too much trust in ourselves. We overestimate ourselves. Because the reality is, we are lazy people, right? We're selfish We're deceitful, we love comfort, we're self-righteous, we're foolish, we're greedy, we're entitled. If we're honest, we are a walking facepalm. At least I am, right? Like, I I could just walk around all day like this. What, What am I doing? Why do I do the things that I do? Now, with me saying this about us, the danger is that you just feel completely worthless. Okay, that's not what I'm going for here at all. What we need to be able to do and and really wrestle with is is to look at Jesus on the cross, okay? For any of us, look at Jesus on the cross and then to tell each other how great we are. Can we do that? Can we look at Jesus on the cross and, and pound our chest and say, hey, look at me. The reality is, we put Jesus there. And so, we are more sinful than we believe. We are more sinful than we believe. You are more sinful than you tend to believe. You need to be led by Jesus. You need to be led by Jesus. You need to be led by the one who loved you so much that he would die for you. So we need him to come to redeem us. We trust him so that he can redeem us. And all this mess that's in our lives, that he can take that, he can redeem that, and he can use it for his good and ultimately for our good as well. So we need to be led well, which ultimately means we need to be led by Jesus. And one way that we see this happening is uh, Jesus provides what Moses could not provide. Jesus provides what Moses could not provide, and that's atonement. So in Exodus 32, verse 30, uh, near the end of this chapter that we're looking at, it reads there in verse 30, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses could not make atonement. He could not make an appropriate payment or sacrifice for Israel's sin that would then allow them to be reconciled to God, to enter back into relationship with him. They, Moses could not accomplish that in and of himself. Moses couldn't do it. I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. No one else in the Bible could do that aside from Jesus, and, and not even in our best moments. So you think about New Year's resolutions. You think about times in your life when you feel like you are knocking it out of the park, spiritually like you've never felt closer to God you've never been better at loving God even in those moments you can't atone for your sin you're not good enough to to allow yourself to be reconciled back to God only Jesus can do this his sacrifice on the cross is the only means for us to be in right relationship with God So, so the issue is not How can we love God? The issue is how God loves us. 1 John 4.10 sums this up really well. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atonement for our sins. Only Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to restore our relationship with him. There's this reality. We are more sinful than we believe. But at the same time, we look at Jesus on the cross and we have to acknowledge that we are more sinful than we believe. We also have to acknowledge we are more loved than we could ever imagine. We are more sinful than we could ever believe and we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And this reality says, and all glory goes to Jesus, right? All glory be to Christ. Now, if I'm honest and I try to be honest when I'm up here, and and usually in my life anyways, I think our pursuit of idols is usually an attempt to be affirmed. We have this desire deep within us that we want to be loved. We long to hear, you are my beloved child in whom I delight. We, We all want to hear that. And what we so often can do unknowingly is then build altars in our lives where we'll offer sacrifices seeking affection and affirmation and love in really cheap forms, in lesser forms than what Jesus offers to us. And in the midst of this desire to be loved and affirmed and the chaotic busyness of life we forget this reality that I mentioned earlier. This fact that we are worshipers. We are worshipers. We cannot stop worshiping. This is who we are. We are always worshiping. Right now, you are engaged in a form of worship. In your heart, you have affection for someone, for something. Something, someone is guiding your thoughts, is wooing your heart you are worshiping right now and and we do this all the time and and if you question that reality just turn your tv on today uh and look at an nfl game and you're going to see grown men with their shirts off painted going crazy they are worshiping something okay we are always worshiping it's just who we are So there's this reality as we worship if we are worshiping something lesser than Jesus we are worshiping an idol and so often for us today idols take the form of money or sex or power or children those idols require full-time service they require you to serve them all the time with no meaningful service to you no meaningful service It, it might feel you might think you're being served in some way But ultimately, you are serving that thing because that thing only wants to destroy you. You might get something from an idol, just enough to keep pulling you back, but never truly satisfied. You will never get what you are ultimately looking for. Jesus makes it clear. He is the only one who is worthy of worship. He gives us his Holy Spirit to lead us To worship him and he desires that the whole of our lives every part as you drive as you sit at work as you lay in bed as you're waking up as you're exercising that the totality of your life would be about him it's for his glory it's intended to be all about jesus so your your work whatever your work is it's not intended to be about your glory. It's not intended to be about you climbing a ladder. It's not intended to be about you providing yourself some kind of lavish life. Your work is intended to be about Jesus, and that's true for all of our lives. So there's this reality. We need to be able to identify idols in our lives. So Part of what I want to do this morning is I just want to encourage you. I I don't have, like, this really well laid out process to to walk through, but I just want to give you kind of a baseline encouragement this morning. First of all, identify idols. Take time to wrestle through what are those things that you look to, that you run to. So a few questions that you can ask yourself. What do you continually and repeatedly and habitually think about? to get joy, or comfort, or affection, or pleasure? What are those things where your mind goes? What excites you? What makes you angry? What will cause you to lose sleep? What will keep you up at night? Is it something you watch, something that you think about, something that you want to plan for? What do you incessantly make plans for? About What do you refuse to relinquish control of? If you honestly wrestle with these questions or any variation that you want to come up with yourself, you will find idols in your heart. We, we all have them, and we all need to be engaged in this process of fighting them or killing them. So identify your idols, and, and then work through why that idol is more attractive to you than the gospel. Why do you run that thing, run to that thing? And, and when you run to that thing, what are you disbelieving about the gospel? Because Jesus says something about himself. And when we run to idols, we're believing something different about who Jesus is and what he's done. So what are those things that you're believing or maybe misbelieving about the gospel? And then preach the gospel to yourself. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Remind yourself of those realities. And, and here's the thing. We are such an individualistic culture, okay? So all these things that I have said are things that you can do on your own. But that is not enough. It is not enough for us to go into our bedrooms and just to do this on our own we have to rely on jesus church we have to invite this into our lives we need other people to speak into our lives to preach the gospel to us to encourage us to give us critique to help us see what we cannot see you need to ask others to do this with you to you for you so i want to encourage you this week in the next couple weeks that you would seek somebody out, that you would walk through this process with somebody, whether it's a spouse, a really good friend, someone that you really trust. It should be some, someone that you really trust. If you don't trust anyone, uh, take a flyer on me, okay? I'll, I'll talk with you about it. Killing idols is not merely just this spiritual discipline that we accomplish through our own effort. We need to see Jesus for who he is. We need to understand what he has done for us. We need to hear what he says about idols, what they desire to do to us. We need to understand why he is better than the idols. And to do this, we need Jesus' church. Ultimately, we need to learn to believe the gospel. We need our roots to go down deeper into the gospel we need to find our sturdiness in and through the good news of jesus and here's the reality as i encourage you to do this with someone else satan will whisper you can do this on your own you've got this you can handle it or he will whisper other things to you about this and and in this essentially what satan wants you to believe is that jesus is isn't enough. That you are enough. In and of yourself. But you're not. You're not. Jesus is enough. So don't listen to the lies that, that cause us just to think in, in just wonky ways. That cause us to do things like, like Aaron did and say that calf just walked out of the fire. Our willingness to fashion any idol and to worship it is foolish, as foolish as what we find the Israelites doing as they fashion and worship a cow. You must know, I must know God for who he really is, that he is better in every way than any idol, and that he desires your joy and your fulfillment way more than you do, and especially more than any idol does. So save yourself the pain of looking for life outside of jesus jesus accepts you jesus adopts you jesus loves you so receive that receive who jesus is because we won't find a better love than we find in jesus let's pray god thank you for the fact that you have constructed the bible in such a way that we can learn about who you are in so many different parts of the Bible and from so many different angles. The gospel is like a diamond that we can look at it, we can see how the light reflects off of it, we can see its beauty. But so often we need to turn that diamond in the light so that we can see it from another angle. And, And this is what the gospel is. It's beautiful, it's precious, it's priceless. And so God, I pray that we would see you for who you are. We would trust you because you alone are worthy of our trust. You alone are worthy of our glory. So God, I pray that as we think about this new year that's coming upon us here in 2019, God, that you would be poking our hearts, prodding us calling us out of our sin out of our idolatry out of these lesser things out of these things that you have created for our joy but our joy is not found when it's terminated just on the created thing the intention is that we would enjoy the good gifts that you give and they would lead us back to you as the good giver of all good gifts and so god i pray that you would shape our hearts In these ways, that we would be engaged in this process of killing sin, killing idols by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by rigorous discipline, not by spiritual exercises, but by believing the gospel. So God, would you accomplish that in our hearts uh, today and, and all the days of this coming week as well? And God, would you give us the courage as well to be able to engage your church to do this with one another, that we would understand we're all a mess. This is, this is a level playing field. We are not called to do this on our own. So God, help us to know the joy. Help us to experience the fullness of living the Christian life with your church, of investing in one another, caring for each other, serving one another in the same way that you have loved and served and cared for us. In your great name, I pray. Amen. You guys stand. We're going to respond to the preaching of the gospel in a couple of ways. By singing, we're also going to do it by observing the Lord's Supper. And so this is a time for us to reflect on the fact that we are a people who bow down to idols. So it's a chance for us to confess our sin with one another. It's a chance for us to pray with one another. And so we want to invite you guys be able to go and observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, if, if you have not trusted Jesus, then this, the Lord's Supper, the bread, the cup, are not for you. Uh, but Center Church is for you. And Jesus is for you. And so we want to invite you to trust in him. If you want to talk, I'd love to chat with you during this time or afterwards. Uh, if you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, we want to invite you guys to uh, celebrate. Uh, by observing uh, the bread and the cup, uh, which are symbols of Jesus' body and his blood shed for us. May this be our anthem as we leave today, uh, as we walk through this week and throughout this coming year. May all glory be to Christ. May that be what our lives are about and what they emanate, emanate through, through all of life. Uh, if you have communication cards, you guys can drop those in the little black box in the back. Um, otherwise, if anyone wants to talk or pray afterwards, I'd love to do that. Um, If you're Center Church, we invite you to join us in our communal teardown time. All right, have a good week. Enjoy your new year.